your favorite meme is a very old one called all your base are belong to us if you remember that you're officially internet old to the Open Metaverse podcast. I'm your host, Mehdi Farooq, Senior Tokenomics Analyst at Endemocra Bands. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, guest with us, one of the OGs of Web3 Gaming, Gabby Dyson, co-founder of YGG. Thanks, Mehdi, for having me. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Gabby, for coming. Uh, so just to kick things off, Gabby, why don't you tell our audience a little, about, a little bit about yourself and how you got into crypto? Sure. So my name is Gabby Dyson, and I'm from the Philippines. Uh, my background is from game development. I started in games 20 years ago and was part of the team that developed the first ever game in the Philippines. Fast forward 11 years later, I started a mobile game studio. So we were making free-to-play games. But I was looking for what would be the next catalyst that would uh, disrupt gaming. And I'd heard about Bitcoin in 2012 and 13, but I didn't do anything there because the primary use case in the Philippines was around remittances. And being a game developer, it wasn't just uh, just that, not that exciting to me. Fast forward to 2017 when I heard about Ethereum and the concept of smart contracts or basically a way to program value. We're already creating complex economies inside free-to-play games. And I thought that putting those economies on... Uh, on a ledger where people can move around actual value um, and own those assets was very interesting. And yeah, dove uh, right into crypto then, 2017, early 2018. And yeah, no looking back ever since. Yep, that is an excellent background as as well as a nice entry point towards what we're about to discuss next. Um, So Gabby, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the business model of IGG? The way I like to think of you guys is like a, uh, a mix of Berkshire Hathaway as well as a franchisee model similar to like a fast food chain restaurant. So wh- why don't you tell our audience about the grand vision of YGG? Yeah, that's definitely been the evolution of YGG. And to think about why we started this, um, a lot of these roots are coming from my background in the Philippines. I was playing Axie Infinity, one of the first 500 players as early as 2018. And when the lockdown happened in 2020, people started turning to Axie as a way to access economic opportunities while uh, locked down from home. People who were laid off from their jobs turned into the economy of Axie as a way for them to, uh, to earn value assets and then, yeah, use that to make a living. So... Uh, that was how we started YGG in late 2020. And in 2021, uh, we did two things. One is that we started acquiring assets in a lot of different Web3 games. So I think uh, now we're, we have assets in over 60 games total. A lot of what's come out in uh, the last few years representing what we think are the best shots to, to build uh, an economy. And second was that because the... Uh, because the guild model is very community-driven, and we knew that we we couldn't really scale fast enough from 
a top-down model and open offices around the world to nurture community, we started developing what we call the sub-down model and uh, where we partnered with different uh, guild, local guilds, basically from around the world, where we were, we would invest in them and help them with the power of the YGG network. So now we have guild partners across Southeast Asia, India, Latin, Brazil, Japan, Korea, Turkey, Eastern Europe, and working on other places around the world as well. So, so with regards to this guilds of guilds model, you have these sub DAOs. So are these sub-DAOs not only region-specific, are they game-specific as well? Yeah, we do have some game-specific ones. And uh, we had we have games where we have found a really strong community that wants to drive our uh, YGG's presence uh, in these games. So this, this started actually two years ago with our game League of Kingdoms. We bought an estate of around almost 300 plots of land, and we have a really strong community around it. So we put this land in a sub-down multi-sig, uh, minted a governance token around it. And the YGG League of Kingdoms sub-down actually has been very active in the game and in governance for the last two plus years. And uh, since we've also done this with another game, Splinterlands, where our community has been very active and we're always looking for opportunity to give our, ha- uh, our assets in the hands of our community base and have them basically run it. All right. Just... Just for clarification, like I think last time I read the white paper, was it the white paper or or, or blog? So with this franchisee model, is that true that ten percent then goes back to the uh, the main DAO, which is the YGG, and 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 sub DAO gets delegated? Is is that the case? In the asset renting model, yes. Um, if there are assets that we rent out, we basically give the majority of the economics away to the player and to the uh, to the community manager handling that, and we keep 10%. I think that there's a larger discussion to be had about the evolution of Web3 gaming and the business model. But in terms of the rental models we had with Axie and other games, that is correct. Got it. Um, just to kind of like decipher the business model a uh, bit more, uh, how do you kind of see some of the risk from games that have in like in-game rental or some of the platforms that are emerging that kind of provide NFT, like uh, rent as a service. For example, you, you you have double protocol, like protocols like that, which have marketplaces where you can rent assets. Do you kind of feel um, that there's a differentiated business model here, or do you kind of feel that will that that could be a potential risk that that you guys uh, face uh, for asset rentals specifically, or? Uh... Yes, what, yes. What so as a rental. Mm-hmm. So for example, if uh, instead of scholarship, uh, one player could acquire assets from the rental places, uh, maybe maybe from a marketplace yeah. or could yeah, rent so- out asset from in-game. Um, sure. So uh, we've always thought that uh, asset rental was only one way that people could access um, NFTs and access to, I guess, the the virtual world surrounding them. So it doesn't really threaten us when... Uh, a gamer, for example, graduates from a rental to an ownership model. I think that is actually kind of the order of things. What we want ultimately is uh, engagement and retention with people discovering games through our guild, having engagement and doing things that can earn them either reputation or assets long-term in a community setting. And for us, the ultimate service is to be able to provide that long-term engagement to to the games and the underlying virtual economies that these games represent. Got it. 
Um, so now shifting gears a little bit, uh, I wanted to decipher with you. Um, there has been a recent shift from play to play, play to earn games to towards play and earn games, and also a lot of gaming projects having a soft currency. Uh, so how are you kind of seeing that trend? How do you think it impacts? gaming guilds like yourself and also some of the sub DAOs you have. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So uh, since the Axie and uh, I think after that, some other games, including Stepan model, has uh, shown that uh, you can get a lot, you can bootstrap a lot of you user base with a tokenized currency that can be earned uh, in-game. But we've also seen the negative effects of this where the reflexivity can go waste the the value of the currency can go up quickly, but it can also go down just as quickly. And kind of the the network effects unravel from there. So now we're we're starting to see different experiments by games in what uh, more sustainable yield models there could be. I would say, I think that the the greatest uh, misconception of play to earn is that it uh, it necessarily has to be earning tokens that are convertible to fiat. Actually, people earn things in games all the time, whether you're earning in-game assets or you're earning reputation or rewards. And some of that may be convertible to uh, to ETH or to fiat, but I don't think that's necessarily uh, the case. So now uh, we've seen a lot of evolution in what the games are doing. And we're seeing that uh, just having the the yields uh, in tokenized form that is that can easily go out of the economy is is not easy for the game designers to control. It might be bad for the economy long term. I don't think we've settled on a final model yet, but we've seen several attempts by newer games uh, to do this. And we're seeing things like a mix of soft currencies to currencies that can be tokenized. And when an asset is tokenized, then you could think that it's uh, per- giving the players permission to leave the circular economy. But yeah, I think there's, we've seen a lot of experiments and uh, actually pretty excited for for this phase of gaming. And, and, and do you think it impacts guilds in any way, um, either the scholarship model or, or, the, or the yield in some formation? Or do you think underlining part of it, which is the NFT, because of that, the business model kind of remains the same? It impacts a lot of guilds because a lot of the guilds were relying on the in-game yield for cash flow, selling it to fund their operations. And a lot of that just isn't available or the games are not going to make it available. So if that is the guild's business model, I think that that won't be viable going forward. And honestly, I don't think that's that's a bad thing at all. YGG wasn't really built on the idea of like farming tokens in the game and then selling them for money. We're built with the idea that we want to give people access to uh, different uh, different opportunities in the metaverse, in these virtual economies, right? But it doesn't mean that you have to take out money there. It means that you're bringing people who are bring uh, or uh, putting in their skills in the metaverse, whether you're coming in as a player, if you're in esports, if you're in content creation, if you own some land or a castle. These are the things that we like seeing, uh, and we want to see our players within our guild really kind of come in and help build the economies of the games that we participate in. Makes perfect sense. So, Gabby, um, again, shifting gears a little bit more, I just wanted to touch upon the tokenomics part of IGG token. Um, sure. So can you, t- yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the token utility of IGG? Um, what, what access does that unlock for, for players, for perhaps potential investors, 
and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. So right now, YGG basically gives you access to some uh, like token gated content, both on the fungible token itself and several of the NFTs that we've launched. And uh, we're building something, I would say, foundational in terms of reputation system before really enabling full governance. Because we believe that the governance model right now is fully broken. The one token, one vote model is not something uh, that is ideal for, for governance and it gives undue power to whales. So before giving uh, full governance over to our community, we're actually doing a lot of work around uh, Solbank token reputation, which I'm sure will be we'll be We'll touch upon yeah, in, in a yeah. bit. Yeah, we'll touch upon and that the, in a bit. And then, so we released a couple of NFTs actually. Um, one is the... Uh, is the guild badge, which we released almost two years ago in July 2021. So this uh, non-transferable guild badge was released even before Vitalik coined the term Soulbound Token. And people don't know about it, but we've been experimenting with SPTs ever since uh, uh, two years ago. And then the other was that uh, in January, two years ago in 2021, we also released a free NFT for people who are very active in our community or in our Discord. So this was called the uh, the Founders Coin. And for the Founders Coin was a free uh, NFT airdrop to uh, to our engaged users. Our Discord had 1,800 people at that time. 300 people claimed the NFT for free. And now this has been a mark of our most engaged and highest value community members, where a lot of games uh, give, uh, I would say, special access to Founders Coin holders. We've done airdrops ranging from NFTs to even a Laura Shin book, for example, the Cryptopians. Um, and yeah, and we continue to, to give early access to different uh, things to people who hold our founders coin. And we just are going to iterate on the tokenomics from there. I don't believe that tokenomics itself is a fixed thing. And we want to continue playing with different models, both on the fungible and uh, the NFT side. Makes absolute sense. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch upon was the reward vaults that got me really excited. Like yep. I remember when I when I invested about a year ago, um, the idea that YGG token could be like a S&P 500 or index level play for, for whole of Web3 uh, gaming or NFT sector got me really excited. And I've seen like, from summer last summer onwards, you guys have started to open up these reward vaults. So can you walk our audience a little bit about about those? And eventually, yep. can we see a scenario where we'll where we can have a vault which will have mixture of rewards uh, of different games bundled up together, and 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 it actually becomes a S and P five hundred for Web three games. <laughs> okay, so. The reward vaults were, uh, were an experiment in two things. One was that we wanted to move away from simple liquidity provision or yield farming as a way to get uh, tokens. Second was that we wanted to ex uh, experiment with a way where some of the yield we were getting from different games could be put in as rewards for people who would stake their tokens. Another big goal for us then was to migrate liquidity from Ethereum to the Polygon network, a lot of the initial stuff we release now goes to Polygon first because it's very much a gamers network. A lot of our gamers actually can't afford gas on Ethereum. And so they, they would go to Polygon first. So, so we set up the reward vaults to do that. And uh, when you stake YDG, 
you would receive, I think it was like rainbow of crypto unicorns and another token. Um, and it was a way to see like how much uh, our uh, community would be interested in that. And that's, there's actually very high interest. The yield itself wasn't too high, but uh, it proved that there was a demand for sort that sort of thing. I think in the future, we would do more active quest systems as a way for people to get tokens. And if there, if, if there were a way for us to sustainably get a yield over time, for example, uh, we're validators in different game ecosystems, I think we can do it such that uh, the reward vaults would be a way for, uh, for us to share the yield uh, with our community. So ultimately it was an, a small experiment for us, but yeah, I think it was, uh, the results were super encouraging and we'd want to do that again in, in the future. Excellent. Uh, I think we'll now move to the more exciting part of the podcast, which is to discuss more about the Guild Advancement Program and how are you at the moment uh, leveraging Soulbound Tokens? I believe you guys are on season three right now. Uh, so if you, can tell, yeah. if you can tell our audience a little bit about what this Guild Advancement Program is, how are you guys leveraging Soulbound Tokens and what the season consists of? Sure. Uh, let's go back to when we started YGG. We've always been obsessed with the idea of having a way to differentiate via a leveling system how uh, uh, people's contributions in the community, right? Uh, this thing kind of takes time to build, though, because you have to gather communities, so see what they do, and then model a thesis around that and actually build the software around this. So... While the last bull run was happening and we were busy in Axie and other games, we've actually started the groundwork for uh, for developing a reputation system. And uh, this came in a number of ways. One, uh, there was the initial SBT that we had was that the YGG Guild badge as just a, a marker of people's involvement in the guild. And second was uh, the start of the Guild Advancement Program. So we released season one uh, mid last year in 2022. And the idea for Guild Advancement Program is that we would embark on some programs within different games that would allow people to get deep into these communities, do things, and then at the end of the season, which runs for three months, people will get an achievement if they finish it, an achievement as a soulbound token, and the reward uh, in YGG tokens. Now, the reward is, I would say, meaningful, but not very high. This isn't like yield farming, where it can probably make you a millionaire unless like, you're doing this full-time and invested for a long time. But this is a way to really get people deep into the game ecosystems that we're part of. And we've actually since ended our yield farming rewards for YGG tokens. And now the primary way of getting YGG tokens is through the Guild Advancement Program. And this is uh, intentional on our part because we want people to who are actively contributing to the network to actually own part of that network. And that is kind of key to the thesis that we're doing with, with the Guild Advancement Program. Yes. So when I was reading your community report Q4, I saw there were very interesting badges based on user, like the gamer persona. So can That's you, right. just for our audience, can you give specific example of the badges? So they have a more um, better view of what these badges consist of and how, how you guys are leveraging it? I think there are over 100 achievement badges in the last season. And these were across not only the different games that were part of the program, be it Axie or My Pet Hooligan, Thetan Arena, etc. And uh, it consisted of tasks that you had to do within the length of the season of the three months. Um, th there's, a, there's different 
quest systems that we're seeing around Web3, but a lot of them are built around very mechanical tasks. Follow this Twitter account, join this Discord, and then it would give you a reward. And we didn't really like that because it didn't it didn't give any form of real retention to the player base. People were just clicking on something and getting a reward. So that's why we set up uh, the gap to be three months long. And that's why you only get the achievements after the end of those three months. So when you got a Soulbound token achievement, we wanted it to actually mean something because uh, having that SPT in your wallet has to be meaningful for that marker to, to mean something. And, uh, and, and that achievement is meant to be, I would say, a future acquisition marker or part of the reputation that you're building within Web3. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, e- even though I'm very bullish on Web3 reputation, um, one question, like one mental exercise uh, to do is to ask a question, so what? So in your view, let's say if we have Web3 reputation, what will it unlock? Um, so for example, will the reputation, like, so will it be used for governance? Will there be reputation-based governance? Where will this be a mechanic used for like soul mints and soul drops where you airdrop or, or when you get, when you get whitelisted will depend on your reputation. Like what are some of the applications you foresee with this reputation layer that you guys are building? Okay. So let's back up to web two and what really changed uh, internet advertising forever. What really changed in internet advertising was uh, basically cookies, right? Uh, you had a lot of things that you did within the internet that were stored in cookies, and these are made available to you know Facebook, Google ad networks that enabled them to hyper-target you with offers that they felt like were relevant. And this enabled Facebook and Google to grow to the multi-billion dollar uh, behemoths that they are today. And this isn't really available in Web3. We have wallets. We don't have people. And, and that's why a lot of... Uh, uh, um, governance or access has been around yield farming, who has the most money. And we believe that that's really not ideal. So we want people to build reputation because you want to give access to either your tokens or your NFTs or to your community and target them based on what characteristics that you want. So this is why achievements are uh, very important. We believe that a well-designed achievement system allows you to really differentiate between the members of your group, your guild, your DAO, and then be able to give them not only access, governance, rewards, based on how they're contributing, how what they've contributed, either it's money or it's by doing work. So I think this is one of the great unsolved pieces of Web3. And we focus too much on the liquidity of money, but I think that reputation is just as important, if not more important in the long term. And there are so many projects that try to solve for liquidity of assets, but there's still very scarce uh, projects in terms of reputation, which I think unlocks a greater Web3 internet, user-owned internet on top of it. And yeah, that's that's kind of what we're building towards. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like one example I give when I kind of describe verifiable credentials or soulbound token is of London, right? So London has this financial layer, the economic layer, but most importantly, it also has this historical layer, the cultural layer, the social layer. And you can't have that financial layer without having that base. And I, I feel reputation and identity creates that base for you to have more sustainable financial integration on top. So that that makes total sense. 
So you guys have recently raised 14 million from a token sale, around 14 million from a token sale. And it will be, my my guess is, for the development of the YGG soulbound ecosystem. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how will that, like how will that evolve? Like what what will be some of the things you guys will be developing, um, and 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 how and how do you envision that development will look like? Sure. So a lot of people think of guilds as entities that basically buy NFTs and tokens and then try to sell them at a profit. That was really never our kind of long term intention. Of course, the assets that we have are important because it gives our community access to the virtual economies of the games that we're involved in. But uh, we we wanted to be a place where people can basically contribute to, to these games uh, and these communities and uh, get reputation from them. And the ones that had the highest reputation should be able to have the, the best offers, right? And that's what we're building. So a lot of the focus of this recent token sale around is going towards product development. So we're not only expanding the Soulbound token reputation, but we're building a quest system on top of that that will allow people to give very targeted uh, quests to people who have basically certain reputational backgrounds. Um, yeah, and uh, that is uh, one of the primary things that we'll be focusing on. Um, yeah, just to reiterate this, uh, how uh, how like how will you guys be different to some of the players that are at the moment? I, I know you touched upon this uh, earlier as well. Like we have some players like DQuest, for example, Rabbit Hole. These these questing uh, platform, what will be the differentiation point? Uh, so will it be the fact that the task will be a bit more engaging, or will it be the fact that you guys will be tracking both the game analytic data or the on-chain data to assign reputation in more nu- nuanced and sophisticated way? Okay, so I guess first thing is that we want the SVT achievements to be public goods. They are. Uh, they are publicly available on-chain. That said, we want to have the highest liquidity of uh, verifiable and meaningful credentials. So not only will we be issuing our own SPT credentials, we will be importing them from games and DAOs as well to the extent that we think they are uh, meaningful. Um, And it's it's the insights that you can build on top of that that uh, that I think uh, where the value can be captured, right? I come from uh, mobile free-to-play where you know, a lot of the money was, was made by knowing how to do effective user acquisition, retaining people for a long time inside a game, and then converting that into monetization. And Web3 uh, in some ways could be more powerful because you have this entity, a guild, that has assets, that has a group of people that a player can belong to, across many different games or DAOs, and this can use assets that can keep people engaged long-term. And being able to match these high-value players with games is, I think, where we can capture a lot of value. Understood. So partially the play is also a Web3 growth stack that will allow you to facilitate that. Okay, got it. Um, so I, I know um, in, in previous cycle and in last couple of years, you guys have been investing in a lot of Web3 games, a lot of amazing Web3 games. So Gabby, when a project comes to you, what's your typical investment framework that you look at when you're evaluating games to invest in? Uh, I, I know it's more done from the ethos standpoint, but like, let's say from investment side of things, what do you, what do, you do? Sure. So we have a really good asset acquisition team um, that takes a look at a lot of these games 
and uh, see if we can participate. So uh, the, the two things we take a look at uh, most importantly are uh, the tokenomics in the community because we believe that these are the things that differentiate what a Web3 game is. Of course, the, ga- the gameplay matters. Of course, the game has to be fun. But I'm not going to go in a podcast and tell you, oh, games have to be fun. Of course, they have to be fun, right? Like, there's no alpha in that. Um, how are the tokenomics set up? Uh, how are people going to earn assets? Again, earn meaning, is it reputational? Is it an NFT asset? Is it uh, is it a fungible token? When can they release it? When is it unlocked? How is it set up sustainably? How is it shared with the community, with the investors? We take a look at a lot of that. And then we take a look at how they are building community. Of course, the number one uh, question we ask is that, is it multiplayer? Are there is there a guild system? Um, if there's a guild system, how does it work? How can we be involved? Is it a guild system where not only YGG can come in and add value, but the next 100 games can come in and kind of fight each other? The, the most interesting thing about the games that have good, good guild systems, talking even about like MMOs going from like EverQuest, WoW, RuneScape, etc., is that the the guild versus guild battles actually present a lot of endless content opportunity. That means you don't have to go into a content grind that plagues a lot of free-to-play studios where, yeah, your, your, your players consume content a lot faster than create it. And doing this like community-based live ops model via guilds is something that we're highly interested in. So we want to help these games have models that would keep on entertaining its players without necessarily having to do a lot of content churn. And uh, yeah, those are the, uh, a lot of the things that we look for. So Gabby, when, when you made the first point regarding tokenomics, you, you, you were speaking my language. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so, so Gabby, when entrepreneurs uh, come to you uh, to seek advice, especially with regards to open economy games, because they're yeah. challenging to balance, what advice do you give them? And also what advice do you give them when they ask you about how to build up the network effect in a, in a, in, in a game? Yeah, very, very good question. So uh, open economy games are very hard. I think even people who come from uh, free-to-play or MMO backgrounds, like it's not easy transitioning to Web3. One of the things that I say is that, uh, and I alluded to this earlier before, is that when you tokenize an asset, for example, turn it into a fungible token or an NFT, you have to treat it as you're giving the player permission to leave your economy, right? And I do think that a lot of the games, Web3 games going forward will be both on and off-chain. Of course, off-chain, uh, off-chain um, currencies are were no stranger to that. We have soft currencies, hard currencies, etc. I think that tokenizing an asset is basically turning it into a hard currency that can be sold for ETH. And then when you, when you give the player... Uh, when you a tokenized asset such as a, a fungible or a non-fungible token, you have to present them with a compelling reason to put that token back into your virtual economy, into your game, right? So it's not just financial stake for more rewards or whatever. If I get this sword, what can I do that's so interesting with this sword that I'd rather put it back into the game rather than sell it for ETH, right? Um. So, so Gabby, the second part of the question regarding network effects. So we see with this gaming, right? Like out of 100 games, there'll be one or two games 
that will just capture all the tail, right? Like we'll, we'll capture majority of the audience. So if an entrepreneur comes to you and they're doing something big, what advice do you give them to kind of build up that network effect or build up that competitive advantage? Even though crypto is about all about open source, but we do need that, that network effect. So if, if somebody comes to you for that advice, what is your typically go-to, go-to advice for that? Yeah, so one of the things that we really look for in games is that how can you compound different uh, network effects into your game, right? So, and the wonderful thing in crypto is that one, any crypto collection or token or membership or DAO represents a different set of networks that you can mix into. If you can successfully get them into your network and have these network effects go into each other, then the end result will be a lot more powerful than basically linear acquisition. So for example, um, Digidai Gaku has done a really good job of this because they've gotten uh, castaways, for example, and ether orcs, and they've gotten them interested in by, by doing drops for Digidai Gaku holders. Axie also did this very well by being the first uh, game to really take advantage of DeFi with the SLP token. In fact, it was with the SLP being tokenized that I learned how to use Uniswap. And then there was a MakerDAO item uh, that you could get inside the game for using a vault that I also learned how to use Maker and learn like the complexity of DeFi. So these types of uh, uh, network fix are really valuable. And the ones that are able to pull different network effects and compound them into their own game will be extremely valuable. The hard part about crypto is that these network effects leave just as quickly as they come, as we've seen throughout the last year. So the one of the biggest challenges for game designers is, yes, you can attract these network effects, but how can you also keep them there? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so when we are advising project, this is exactly what we say. There is one thing called network effects and there is another thing called virality. I think virality just reduces your cost of customer acquisition, but network okay. effect is something that just builds up over time and makes it difficult for user to leave the ecosystem. And I think a lot of projects uh, sometimes achieve virality, but do not get that similar network effects. Only Web3 game I've seen achieve that has been XC Infinity. Yeah. Um, and it, it went beyond just virality. Um, yeah. Axie had, a, I would say, liquidity of network effects as beyond every any Web3 game I've seen before or after. But that liquidity also meant that the liquidity could flow out as quickly as it went in, right? And that's really the lesson for game designers. How can you keep that network effect in your community once it comes in? And I do believe that reputation is a part of solving that problem. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes us very excited about reputation as well. Uh, so, Gabby, I also wanted to pick your brain with regards to different genres of Web three game. So, so which genre do you think is most suitable for Web3 integration? Do you think every genre of game should have Web3 component? Or do you think there's certain sub-segments that you, you feel are ideal for Web3 integration? Okay, so, okay, uh, I'll zoom out uh, philosophically before answering this. I would say that Ethereum or blockchains in general are a way to create uh, a gamified economy. It puts your uh, economic assets on 
uh, ledger that is basically programmable and that can be incentivized for players to do things. So these are the same levers that we use as game designers to incentivize people to do things, to complete a quest, to spend money uh, in a game. So uh, so actually, like game design and uh, I would say mechanism design in crypto are very closely related. So in uh, in games in general, I would say the closest, and this is no surprise to you, are basically like MMO uh, role-playing games and Forex strategy because all of these have complex economies and different actors, different uh, players who are doing different things in that economy. I'm less interested about a game that only has one path to succeed. For example, a game's lead- win-loss leaderboard. The, one of the reasons that Axie succeeded was that there were different roles to do in the economy. Was I the player? Was I the scholar borrowing assets? Was I the community manager uh, that was lending assets to someone? Was I the guild owner? There were content creators, there were esports players. So they actually made for a pretty complex economy on top of what was a relatively simple card-based game. And, and so I do think that having this kind of complexity in the economy makes for a very rich community that can do different things to add value rather than just playing a game, win or loss. Um, and this naturally lends itself to uh, to RPGs and uh, strategy games that have these economies set up. That said, and uh, going back to the earlier point, I do think that you can build this kind of complex meta economy even on top of, uh, for example, a casual mechanic such as a match three, a match three that you might be base building, trading with other people, getting permanent assets. But without that kind of economy that people are building towards, I don't think uh, a Web3 framework around it would really work. So just to summarize, if the economy is complex enough or if there's an element of skill base, Web3 uh, does magical things to those two aspects of, of, of the game. Yeah, because you're basically building a meta economic layer around gameplay. And while that lends itself very well to RPGs, I think that you can use different uh, uh, different genres as a mechanic. You can use a driving game, but build a league system compared to F1, for example. Have different guilds compete, hire teammates, have uh, pits, advertisers, uh, buy-in prizes, rewards, etc. And then you have a functional economy, right? Um, so, Gabby, we're seeing a lot of hype with, with AI. What do you think will happen with both Web2 gaming and Web3 gaming? How do you think AI will impact uh, gaming uh, in, in general? Yeah, web uh, AI has been very exciting in that it's now possible to drastically reduce the cost of making content. And if you look at a AAA game, for example, like name a Rockstar game that's released in any five years, it, it, it would have taken five years to make probably more than a thousand people, different studios from around the world, and really specialized studios that are good at concept art, 3D modeling, animation. And the bar for making this content is very high because most people can't afford to make these types of games. And the promise of AI is that if there are uh, certain routines that you can reduce and to, that an, an AI model can interpret and produce content out of, then uh, you can radically make the uh, the cost of making content cheaper, which means that creative people can create content without needing to hire a thousand people or having 10, 20, 50 million dollars. 
to create a game. It means that there's a lot more content will be come out. Most of it will be rubbish, but we'll see lots of good content that people can experiment on so cheaply because it's not going to cost them a fortune to do so. So I think we'll be embarking on a new era of creativity where people can test new mechanics very cheaply because the content itself won't be so expensive to produce. That's a good point. Do you reckon will the energy, some of the energy saved will then be moved towards building that economic layer, that that meta layer we were talking about? Do you feel like that could be the case, that some of the energy and time saved could be spent on that to make that economy layer a bit more complex so so the experience is a bit more richer? Or do you think uh, that's just wishful thinking? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. I've even been part of some uh, crypto projects where they basically want to train uh, players' uh, in-game skill and habits and then uh, put that basically in an AI model and have that AI encapsulated as an NFT. So I can then sell an NFT of myself playing, for example, in Overwatch. And that would play exactly like me. And now I can sell or rent it out to another person. So that kind of sounds a a little bit wonky, but I think it's going to be very common in the near future where, for example, a top esports streamer or player can say that, oh, here's a hundred limited edition likeness of myself playing a certain game because I'm very good at this game, I'll put it in an NFT and people can can buy that NFT and you can play as me in Valorant or whatever, right? Uh, you did mention Rockstar. So one of my favorite Rockstar game, I, I think majority of people's favorite Rockstar game would be have been Grand Theft Auto. So I yeah. think in 2013, they had this thing where they integrated stock market within the game. So for mm-hmm. example... Let's say if you did something bad, the stock market will react to it. And there, there were one mission where you had to kill the CEO and the stock market will tank and you could short the stock. So do you think the next uh, GTA will, will, incorporate, sorry, will incorporate some of the crypto and NFT stuff? Because then it makes the gameplay exciting. Yeah, what's, your, what's your thought on that? Um, I would expect there to be a new game studio with probably ex rockstar people who'd create like a web three native version of GTA rather than having it in GTA itself. And the reason for that is that these are very big companies that have a massive fan base and that makes them, I would say risk averse to anything that their fan base wouldn't like. And right now there's a lot of, I would say pushback from the mainstream NFT audience or gaming audience to NFTs. So I don't think they would let it anywhere near their most valuable brands. But uh, for the peop- for the people, the game designers who want to push the envelope, and we've already seen this and funded some of them. We've seen people go from EA, Rockstar, uh, Tencent, etc., quit their quit their jobs, go into Web three full time, and get a new studio going because that's usually the I would say cleanest way to do something new and innovative that may not be part of your large company's business model. Yeah, that makes sense. So Gabby, uh, we're coming to the last segment of the podcast. This would be like a rapid fire round. Uh, So it will be to the point. So my first question to you is your favorite Web3 games that you're excited about in in 2023. So my pet hooligan, very excited about that. Uh, Legions and Legends, also very excited about that. And also have to uh, plug my friends at uh, Mighty Action Heroes as well. Okay, this may and may not be alpha. Uh, <laughs> second question, Web2 games that you spend a lot of time on and, and have no regret? Uh, I am currently 
spending too much time in Marvel Snap. And yeah, some of my closest friends in my family know this. <laughs> All right, nice. Uh, so Gabby, what was the last thing you Googled? The last thing I Googled was, uh, let me look at my Google history. Oh, uh, I think actually uh, my son and I were trying to figure out how to get into the the Bing enabled uh, search uh uh, the AI enabled search with chat GPT and it in the and it required you to install Microsoft Edge and get on all of the Microsoft products that you haven't used in a decade. That's very interesting. So we had Sandeep on the podcast and the last thing he Googled was something relating to chat GPT three as well. So that's interesting. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Gabby, my final question uh, would be your favorite meme. My favorite meme is a very old one called All Your Base Are Belong to Us. If you remember that, you're officially internet old. All right. All right. Gabby, thank you again for coming to the Open Metaverse show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we, we, we learned a lot and we are very excited with regards to what you're building with Web3 Reputation and, and Soulbound Tokens. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mehdi. Really enjoyed our chat. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.